Welcome everybody to Cardiology. This is our uh, premiere episode here. I'm Mark Judy. I'm your main host here. We are recording and sending this out from my basement pub uh, where we like to just talk our brown sports, maybe have a few nice drinks while we do it, and go through all of our different information. So why are we here? Uh, we came up with this podcast idea. You know, my buddies and I, we found ourselves during the 2021 season towards the end I think roughly about week 15 we were all watching the games from different TVs because of all of our COVID lockdown procedures and everything like that and as we were watching them at different games we're sending text messages back and forth to everybody and anybody who knows me knows that I am not a very big fan of text messages and wearing out my thumbs and so as we got into our fifth discussion of how bad the Browns were doing to finish out the season, I decided, why are we doing this? Why can't we just record this information? And that is what started to spin the wheels about doing a podcast. The Browns are something we talk about all the time. We love to argue about it. We love to talk about it. We love to dream about it. And so this just seemed like a natural progression. Um, you might ask yourselves, why cardiology? So if you are an older Browns fan, like myself, I am actually a child of the 70s, and so my first quarterback and my first Browns team that I rooted for were the Cardiac Kids, Brian Seip, watching Greg Pruitt, Mike Pruitt, Ozzie Newsome. All of those guys were just my heroes, and, and really the players who kind of made me fall in love with being a Cleveland Browns fan. So... Cardiology is a playoff of that so that we can kind of keep tabs and monitor the heartbeat of the team. Now, how often we're going to do the podcast? To start here, I mean, this is the off season, so we'll probably do a monthly um, episode just to kind of catch news. And then, yeah, we have every intention to do a weekly episode as we get into the season. Um, as we start to get even into the uh, preseason weeks, make sure that we're catching all of the relevant Browns news as we go. Now, as a format thing, you're not only going to have to listen to my voice, you're actually going to get a chance to listen to some of my friends. And so they're going to rotate through as our co-hosts. And actually, today, joining me on our maiden voyage of this podcast is my good friend Gary Marg. Hey, Gary. Hey, how you doing, Mark? Very good, very good. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a lifelong Browns fan kind of lifelong Browns fan. I moved to Cleveland when I was a kid and been here ever since. And really, when folks ask where I'm from, it's it's from Cleveland. I kind of forgot my former life as far as uh, football goes, at least, and uh, consider myself a lifelong Browns fan. Same thing, been hanging around with you, talking about the games, really overanalyzing these things into, into minutia uh, and thought, uh, hey, what a great idea. So I'm uh, happy to participate here. That's awesome. So, like I said, yeah, you're going to meet some of my other friends. Gary and I have been, gosh, we've been, we've been best friends since goodness. I don't know, about 25 years, yeah. I think. We used to be roommates before, before I went and got myself married. But, yeah, we, we've hung out, talked Browns forever, and just had a lot of good time doing it. So let's jump into some stuff. One of the big things... The first big cardiology business trip already happened, and Gary yeah. and I actually made our way to Las Vegas, and we were there for the 2022 draft, which was just a great time. We stayed downtown in Vegas. We actually stayed at the Downtown Grand, 
you know, you do a lot of gambling down there, Gary. So Gary was able to hook us up um, with his friends. Yeah, it's a great spot. If you ever get to Vegas, it's a, it's a, I can highly recommend that location. Yeah, we had a lot of fun there and a really nice place. I, I hesitate to even tell anybody about it because I really don't want it to start to fill up with people. But I would say for those of you who like to have all the fun of Vegas and maybe a little bit extra air and a little extra space. The downtown grand was just amazing. But we went down there. One of the reasons, the, the main reason we even decided to go out to the draft, you might you might wonder why we would go. Obviously, um, Vegas is always a fun town, but actually, Gary and I had the idea to do that way back in 2019. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since, uh, since we first came up with the idea and uh, uh, some obvious things got in the way of that, but uh, we had the opportunity to go this year. Yeah, we we actually it was funny we watched the the draft that was in Nashville. We watched and uh, we sat and thought, "Hey, we should be out there." Cuz we actually saw they they did a, this weird cutaway where they were showing the uh, the local Raiders bar and we saw they cut to the local Raiders bar right before their pick and there were just two fans sitting in the middle of the bar and had their Raiders jerseys on and everything, and they're having a heated discussion between the two of them, and neither one of them realizes they're on camera. They don't pay attention to the pick. They're busy chatting with each other. And I looked at Gary, and I just said, we should be those guys. We should be those guys. Yeah, yeah. So, so we made the plans to go to the original Vegas draft, which I think was 2019. And we had all our plans, but of course, as Gary said, those all got a little shortcut. And so when we realized that they were going to go back to Vegas again, we we decided to roll with it and make that our first official business trip for the podcast. So we had a really good time. You know, we had a lot of fun day one right off the bat. Yeah, we did. We, uh, well, first and foremost, we made sure we uh, checked out all the local sports books and, uh, you know, just got the lay of the land there and made sure that, you know, we, uh, you know, maybe uh, put a little money down on the Browns to win the whole thing this year, see where that all goes. But, you know, when in Vegas, you you, you got to do something like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. We actually, I, I we were able to lock down the pre-draft odds. So yeah. we're, we're sitting at uh, 22, right? Yeah, 22 to 1. Yep, so that that would be wonderful. So we'll I think after the draft, they dropped to about 18 to 1, I think. If they, if it I was did, it did, with a lot of the different moves that we've been making. And, and on top of that, the, the draft yeah, it did drop down to 18 to 1, and I think it's hung there for quite a while. So I, I don't imagine there'll be a whole lot of change until we start to hear some things about our quarterback and, and some of those situations. But uh, that might affect the numbers, but right now... I think we're holding fast 18 to 1 but yeah but yeah we took up the sports books and then yeah we we kind of made our way around the city yes yeah, so we did did a variety of things but our our big plan the uh the first day um the, you know once we again made our made our way around and saw a couple things uh was to head out to the local brownsbackers bar as, as mark talked about which is called the sporting life bar and that is the home of the uh, Vegas Dog Pound, which is uh, what they call the local Brownsbacker organization there. So we walked in and uh, met uh, Deb, who uh, runs that organization, and, and a couple of the members, and basically kind of hung out there for the for the first round of the draft to see how things went. Since uh, wasn't too exciting because uh, the, the Browns didn't have a pick, but but it was kind of great to be in a place with with other Browns fans. And I would say anybody who, you know, if you happen to be out in Vegas, you want to hang out with some people who know a lot about the Browns, but also, too, a lot about just Ohio sports. 
bar was all decked out. Everybody was ready to chat and have a great time. Everybody was wearing their Browns gear. And even though none of us were going to see a pick that night, there was a, a lot of fun had. And so uh, we appreciate uh, Deb and the team and everybody out there that, you know, kind of spent some time talking to us. We had a, we had a really good time with that. Then we kind of, you know, we spent some time. I think we had some good drinks oh, yeah. uh, and, and a lot of fun just working around uh, the nightlife in Vegas on day one. But then we kind of rolled into day two. And in day two, we had plans to go down to the actual draft experience. So I don't know if anyone out there has had the chance to go to the NFL draft experience. I know, Gary, you went to the 2020 one draft in, in Cleveland, Cleveland here, yeah. You actually got to go do that. I, I didn't get the free pass for that particular week, so I couldn't go. But but you got to see it, and seeing it out in Vegas, they just do a really great job. All the different events that they had scheduled through the NFL and a lot of the different exhibits around there, it was just a really cool to see so many fans in the same place, getting to see all the national personalities out talking. So that was that was a ton of fun. But we kind of lined ourselves up there. We, we had timed out there, just like many of you probably were sitting on your couches. We were ready for pick 44. We were all excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, had a, we had a bunch of friends out there. We had a bunch of Browns fans around with us, and we were all ready. And just like the rest of you, got caught off guard a little bit with the first move by the oh, Browns. Oh, yeah, off guard to say the least, yeah. I think, I think maybe I was expecting a trade down of some kind to happen at some point in the draft. I mean, I think we've seen that Andrew Barry likes to find ways to maximize his picks, but I think the move, the, the thing that struck me about the move was how far back we went. You know, to actually move out of the full second round into the third round, I, I really felt like there was a ton of talent available in that second round that really met some of our needs. And so the fact that we actually traded out of that spot and all the way into the third round was kind of crazy to me. Yeah, and I tell you what, it it strikes me as odd still, and we can talk about the specific picks, and I I actually do like, like the picks, but it always strikes me as odd when you move down that far because, look... We know that the draft is a little bit of a crapshoot, right? You you never quite know if that pick's going to work out. But you do know that the odds are higher the higher up you are in the rounds. And I think to, t- to trade down that far really kind of you know minimize their chances of success when you know just by the odds. Now you can now look at the players and say, hey, we we probably did a pretty good job anyway. But I think just by the odds, I would have rather stayed up high. I think that gave you a better chance to get a player that's going to make a better impact on the team than by trading down and getting more picks. And so you get more, you know, more darts on the board. But I, I don't know that's necessarily a good thing if you're stepping further back. Yeah, and, and I think you and I talked about it at the time. What was really killing me is I, I don't know what anybody else thought, but I felt like every time we made a move, we were just making life easier on the Ravens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was driving me nuts. And so I don't know that I was in love with the idea of David Ajabo from Michigan, the defensive end. I don't know that I was in love with the idea of basically a medical redshirt that you're going to draft on your team. But at the same token, the value of that pick at 44 when we could have had him. And, you know, we're talking about a guy who is potentially a top 12, top 10 talent that we could have potentially stashed. So I was a little disappointed in that, but I was just disappointed in some of the other names that came off right away, you know. I think Josh Pascal from Kentucky came shortly thereafter. And I really felt like when we went into the draft, I think I was like everybody else. 
receivers and defensive linemen was oh. all I was thinking about at that point. Same so here. when we actually then ended up at round three, pick 68, that was a little bit of a mind blower for me. I, I, you know, so we picked Martin Emerson, quarterback from Mississippi State. But I got to be honest, I knew almost nothing about him. That is not a name that was jumping out at me pre-draft, any kind of the mock drafts I had seen or done. So, again, there seemed like there was a ton of secondary talent at 44. So I, I was really caught off guard, not only that we had traded back that far, but that we made that our first pick. What, what were you thinking? <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. I think we both looked at each other at that point in time and, and we're, we're just like cornerback. What, that was not what we expected at all. If, if you kind of made a list of positions, I thought we were going to draft that that definitely would have been uh, towards the bottom. You know, might not have been surprised in a later round, but but certainly was surprised that that was our first pick out of, out of the gate there. You know, the more that I've studied, you know, Martin, uh, the happier I am with the pick. But I got to say, the the initial reaction was was definitely shocked because it just wasn't you know, wasn't on my radar or something that the Browns needed. And and at that moment, they didn't. Now we they've made some moves that I can see they had a kind of a plan there, but it just was kind of a surprise because I thought there were more pressing needs at that point that that we probably should have gone after. Yeah, and I I think that you know again like you after I gave it a little bit of thought I think that one of the things that maybe made started to make it make sense to me was as we start to see you know the arms race that's happening in the AFC and all of the players and all of the skill positions and all of the speed receivers and the quarterback arms that are really getting stockpiled in the AFC. I think that Andrew Barry and Joe Woods have basically told you, hey, you know what? We know that we need to defend against this. And so we need this firepower. You know, I feel really great about, I mean, who doesn't feel great about Denzel Ward? I think he's a stud, and I think he's going to continue to be a stud for us for a long time. But I also think we hit big on Greg Newsom, And so being able now to see maybe, you know, maybe Emerson goes out there and gives Greedy Williams a little bit of a nudge. You know, I think, I think we've all been waiting to see consistency from greedy so he definitely flashed some really good skill sets the end of last year i thought when he did get time to play he really showed us some stuff um but the question is can he stay on the field and can he be consistent so maybe maybe the bringing in of of emerson is one just to kind of keep the competition going but also two to really help with this arms race yeah, and I, I think you saw that across the league. I thought there were some surprise moves by other teams for cornerbacks as well, and I think that's exactly the logic that went into it. Hey, we've got uh, you know we've got a bunch of receivers coming in. We've got some good receivers out there. We need to do something to negate that when we play these teams. And so you know, when you think of it in that respect, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it, what it also tells you is that the Browns are kind of counting on some of these receivers that we have on our roster that are younger that they obviously think are going to start to produce. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. Well, then, um, you know, right between, so right after that pick, Gary and I, because of the the switch from 44, we actually had plans for the rest of the uh, second and third rounds. So we did. We actually headed out to the Tropicana, where our friends from the Here We Go Brownies podcast were actually hosting a draft party. They also had, a, I think, a sponsor of Stadium Mustard yep. out there. And they actually brought in 
some of our favorite Browns heroes. So we got a chance to spend some time talking to uh, Felix Wright, Eric Metcalf, and Hanford Dixon um, at that session. So they, they laid out a nice a nice spread there. There was there were drinks to be had. Of course, since it was Stadium Mustard, we had to have our hot dogs. So there were hot dogs there for everybody to have. Yep. And most of all, just a lot of time to get to, to meet these guys and talk to them and spend some time with them. So we had we had some fun there. So we kind of moved from the shock of the Emerson pick for us so that we could watch the rest of the picks from within there, the ballroom. So yeah and i tell you what it was it was really neat because look it's it's vegas there's a lot of things for a lot of people to do out there so we ended up with a lot of time to actually talk with eric metcalf and uh, hanford dixon and and had some great conversations with them we found out a couple of interesting things uh one we found out that hanford dixon was on our flight we didn't even know yeah, we all we, we came out we together know. with him uh Us. and that we were going back with him on the same flight so that was kind of an interesting uh fortunate happenstance which was kind of neat talked to to eric Eric met yeah, a lot. He was a, he's a great guy and yeah. a lot of fun to talk to. And so it was just a really good time there. We also got a little bit of their opinions on the, the draft. And, uh, you know, without speaking for them, I can I can say they seemed surprised as well with 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 the trade and with the, the first couple of moves. So they were they were definitely surprised by what was going on there. So that was kind of interesting to get their perspective a little bit, too, in that immediate fashion, because I think, you know, they didn't have time to to really think it over. They were giving us their first impression, which was great. It was really a great time and so again i'd like to thank the the people out at here we go brownies uh for putting that on so while we were sitting there we sat and we came around then to our next pick in the round three which was alex wright the defensive end out of alabama birmingham and so this was actually a name as we were sitting i gotta fess up i was really into the pre-draft prep this year I was doing mock drafts back and forth, just like everybody else. Some of those websites with the mock draft stuff this year, I just, I thought they were so cool. I, I They were like a black hole. I, <laughs> I, I probably did over, gosh, I, I would bet I probably did over 50 to 75. Wow, you way, out, way outnumbered mine, but you did get me introduced to a couple of those sites. And I, I got to say, same thing. They were a little bit addictive. Uh, and it was, but it was very cool to to see how they played out and how you could try different scenarios and see see where things went. Of course, none of mine were right, but hey, it was fun to try. Yeah, but I, you know what, I really liked about it and doing that process. It was the names that I I started to see and learn about. You know, yeah. So so that we knew a little bit more about some of these picks. And Alex Wright was one of those names. Here you have a guy who is he's tall long arms and he has room to continue to grow in his power and his weight but it's the length that he has i think that's where you really you got to come away impressed you know he's only had 18 starts in college but he had seven sacks and 46 tackles in just 13 games last year. So he's gotten better every year. And I think there's a lot of skill set there. I mean, you're seeing a guy who, you know, has some room to grow. And who better to learn how to work out from than (laughs) Miles Garrett, the athletic freak that he is, and the the work ethic that Miles puts in. So I was excited about this pick. I, I actually thought that this is when we started to meet some needs. Yeah. and also get some value. So while I wasn't happy that we had 
gotten some of the other picks uh, and traded back from Emerson, this started to win me over a little bit. Yeah, same here. He's pretty impressive when you look at his stats. I think we got good value at that spot. You know, he's a he's a guy that, interestingly enough, for a, de- a defensive end, was a wide receiver in high school. So I think when you're looking at those some of those pass breakups, things along those lines, you talked about that height. That is really going to be beneficial, and it's intriguing about him. I agree with you. I think you know learning that work ethic from Miles is is probably a good thing. And that, that's a side note, by the way. We got to go out to uh, that Browns training camp last year. And watching the players in training camp and seeing the effort that Miles Garrett put in compared to just every other player. And it's not not that the other players weren't putting in effort, but just the amount that he puts in. Yeah, that explosiveness. Yeah, he is he's just he just stands out, not not just in the game, but on the practice field when you watch him. And he put he gives it all when when it's his turn to practice, he puts it all in there. And I think that hopefully that's gonna translate to Alex Wright. He'll see that he'll do the same thing and we'll have a, another couple of good players there. Yeah, so, you know, with Alex Wright came off the board for us, and then came, I think, the position group that we were all waiting to see. I don't know if it was necessarily the name that I thought would, would last that long for us, but that's when we saw David Bell come out off on pick 99 for us, a uh, wide receiver out of Purdue. And so being here in Ohio in the hub of Big Ten football, I think we all knew the name of David Bell. Yep. Uh, you know, this is a guy who, aside from last year, where you had the, you know, just the dominance of the Ohio State receivers coming out, this is a guy who had a very, very strong two years before that playing for Purdue. He was the 2021 consensus All-American and a guy who's known for catching the ball. I think a lot of us just had seen some of the the call-outs of his combine numbers. I know that when he ran the 40 at the actual combine, I think he came in at like a 4.8 or something along those lines. And then he improved that at his pro day. But, you know, a lot of the talk was that he didn't have kind of the explosive speed that you were looking for. But everybody talking about just the things... This is a guy who had, you know, a hell of a college career. Um, So, you know, it maybe was a little later in the draft. Again, it's a broken record, but back at 44, you know, I was seeing names, Pickens from Georgia. We were seeing the the, the receiver out of Cincinnati, Pierce. You know, some of those guys that I really thought would fit well with us. So I was a little disappointed, but I but I gotta say I was a little buoyed here. You know, as we picked up a bell at this spot. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, the more I look at him, the the more I like him. And I and I gotta say, you know, everybody gets focused on speed, but you know, the majority of wide receivers out there are not your your burners. I mean, they're, yeah, some of your headliners certainly are. But you know, when you think about the guys out there that uh, have been highly productive without speed, there's a lot of them. You know, your Wes Welkers, the guys like that just produced and weren't necessarily the fastest guy in the field. And you need those guys. You need the good hands guys. I mean, heck, we're Browns fans. We've seen this team year after year drop footballs. And to have a guy with good hands, and he's got great hands, that's important. You know, you hit him in the hands. We want him to catch the ball. And he does. And I think... I, you know, I like him. I, I like the fact that he's got, he runs good routes. I think that there's a good spot for him on the team. And it's, you know, it's the way that we've made some moves right now. I think, I think he's got a spot for sure. It, it's his to lose actually. So, well, and you know what, you, you're talking about those traits, the guy he's replacing Jarvis Landry, 
I'm I'm still sad about. I you know I'm a huge Jarvis fan. But I'll tell you what, you go back and you look at the combine numbers and some of the measurables that Jarvis had coming out of college versus the measurables of David Bell, and you're looking at the same guy. Yeah, very, very similar. Sets. Now, I got to say, I, I don't know anybody who practices uh, catches and hands quite like Jarvis does. But the sa- at the same token, if you're going to have to replace a guy like Jarvis, and you're looking for that skill set, I, I think we could have done a lot worse than David Bell. So I'm excited to see where that goes from here. Yeah, me too. I think there's a, a lot there to, to be hopeful about and to watch as, uh, as the season progresses here. So yeah, so that closed out round three, and it closed out the second day of the draft for us. It would be fair to say that we left the Tropicana and again had some more fun walking around downtown uh, and, and at that point up on the strip talking to all kinds of Browns fans everywhere we could go. <laughs> We were stopped. I think every time we walked into a casino, there were people who stopped. We had a long conversation with, with a Dallas Cowboy fan um, who wanted to talk about how great he thought Cleveland was lining up for the next season. So so we had a lot of good conversations with people. And then and that we, was one of the really fun things about the draft, I think, Mark, was to go in and to all the other fans we talked to from all the other teams. It, it was great. You you know, sometimes you, you go to a football game and uh, those conversations are a little tougher a little more awkward there because you're in the middle of that rivalry whereas out at the draft everybody was friendly we had really productive conversations with uh, fans from just about every team that's out there and it was it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed that aspect of going to the draft was not just talking to all the other browns fans that we we bumped into but the fans from the other teams that we got to have good conversations with and what they thought about our team and vice versa yeah, it's, it, it was it was really interesting to hear the other perspectives, right? Because, um, let's face it, there's been a lot of Browns news, and we'll talk a little bit more about it after we talk about the draft, but a lot of Browns moves and a lot that we're not used to having around Northeast Ohio. And seeing all that through the national media lens and kind of the microscope has been uh, a whole different experience. And to go out and actually be amongst other fans and to hear what they think about the things that the Browns are doing and how they view the Browns as a team overall, I, I think it was. It was it was a very cool experience. I recommend it to everybody. We went in then. Day three, uh, we'll be honest with you, you know, there were going to be a lot of picks, um, but there was a lot of fun to be had in Vegas. So we tried to make sure we were close to a sports book, close to a TV, to be able to see all the picks. But we were roaming all over Vegas. But one of the big picks came right off the bat there in, in day three. So Yeah, Perry and Winfrey. Yes, I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with Barry and Winfrey. But... I think we've already started to have a lot of fun with yeah. Barry and Winfrey. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that if anybody hasn't already seen it, just the interviews and all of the Instagram stories that, that Perry and Winfrey sent out after immediately getting drafted, this is obviously a kid with a really high motor. Yeah, it is. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, I think he's got a lot of upside as well. Uh, when we talk about learning from other Browns players, he seems like a guy that's you know ready, willing, and able to do that, and that's exciting. He's not coming in saying he knows everything. He's coming in saying he's going to play with great players and he's going to learn from them, so he could be a great player. And I think that's a that's a great attitude. It's very refreshing. You know, he he just I, I thought he was pretty impressive. I mean, he his career there at Oklahoma. He had a, what he started all 12 games in 2021. He had 23 tackles and five and a half sacks. It's pretty good stats. Well, and also, too, this is a guy, I think a lot of us heard his name first coming out of the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Um, he had quite the Senior Bowl performance. Uh, he made the most of every rep. 
Uh, a lot of them were going around. People were watching him. He's lining up against the top senior offensive lineman, and he was he was beating him up. And so this is a pick that not only did I, I kind of considered this one of the bigger steals for the Browns out of this, because this is a guy, I mean, I had seen him on some uh, upwards in the top 50 of prospects coming into the draft. And so to actually get a hold of that guy the third day and at a position where we really need to shore up some stuff, I think I think we can all agree that as much as our defense started to pick up some steam at the end of the year last year, we still need some help up that middle. Yeah. Um, shoring that up, getting getting some real lockdowns in the middle, and, and to get a guy with a motor like that, get him at that position and fill a need, I was super stoked about that pick. Yeah, I, I was too. But I, I do want to – one of the things is it seems like we're – I'm excited about most of the picks, and I am. I do think we picked some great players. Uh, but one of the things I like to do when, when the Browns make their picks is is there's that realization that, look, I'm not a scout. I haven't had that time like all the teams have to put in to study all the players. So I always look at the players that went right after the pick and who, who the other teams took. And really, I, I'm a big believer in Perry and Winfrey, but you know he's got some good expectations out there that he's got to meet because some of the players that went after him were pretty valuable. And again, you brought him up earlier, Baltimore. You know, they took a pretty good offensive lineman that, that easily could have gone in that spot as well. I probably wouldn't have been disappointed. If the Browns, actually, I'm sure I wouldn't have been disappointed if the Browns took him instead, Daniel Fleal. And I think, uh, you know, that's something to look at, that as we look at those picks, you, you start to think, and that's usually something we do years later. It's like, wow, we could have could have took that right, guy. We right. didn't. And I, I don't like to look too far down the line because, hey, then nobody saw that guy, right? If he's 16 picks later, hey, no no team really saw that player there. If, if he's one or two picks later, hey, probably most teams were looking at all those players and just there was a little difference in how they ranked. So, I do like the pick there. I think some of the players that went after him were pretty valuable as well. So I'm really hoping he lives up to expectations because I really like the guy. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is when we started to see maybe what the strategy was, was of, of the trade back, some of the different things that were happening, the ability to get a few more picks in this kind of late second day, early third day Mm -hmm. position. Um, to find some depth, which, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of talent, like you said, right there on the board. I was pretty stoked about the pick. I, I, I am looking forward to that quite a bit. Um, then we had uh, our pick 124. I'm, I, I, I'm just going to come right out and say I'm not a kicker guy. I, I honestly think that it takes time to learn to kick in the NFL. So I know that we, we all kind of you know, gnashed her teeth as Chase McLaughlin had his issues last year. But, you know, kicking in Cleveland is not an easy thing to do. And and so I probably would have been okay letting Chase compete. Um, but but we went ahead and we took Cade York, kicker from LSU, who was the consensus number one kicker available. So we kind of decided to go in that direction and then immediately went all in for Cade. So right after... Right after the draft, we already said it's his job, and so we we have a kicker. Yeah, and I, you know what? Hey, if you're going to take the kicker, you might as well go all, all in on him. And I, I got to say, a couple things about the pick is, is kind of interesting. One is he did exactly what when, when we he picked the pick kicker, you and I talked about the fact that, hey, kicking in Cleveland is different, and we hope that he reaches out to some of our former kickers and talks to them, and he did that. 
uh, he did that right away. So I got to give him a little kudos there because we had our doubts that, that he was going to make that outreach. And he went out and did that right away. So that's that's encouraging that he knows that kicking here is a little bit different and then he needs to learn about it and that he's taking those steps. So, you know, still doesn't make me feel good about taking a kicker that high, but it does make me feel good about the particular kicker we have on our team then. So that's a, that's a good thing. And I got to say, look, hey, the Browns, it's kind of interesting. They, you know, in this pick, kind of brought it to light is yeah, we have some late picks is what we had this year. So in, in general, it should have been a pretty uninteresting draft. And I think with the Perry and Winfrey pick, I think with, you know, the, the David Bell with the Kate York picks here, they've kept people talking. They've kept us interested. They've got us intrigued. And you know, whether you like the pick of the kicker or not, it certainly has kept your attention, which I think is, is a positive thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, definitely, you want to have improvement in every position. So, you know, we've dealt with it over the last couple of years, these close games where we should be in it, we should be getting over, and we're just not. You know, hey, you got to make your extra points. You got you to make your field goals. So, so hopefully we got the guy for the job. Yeah, and I will say, again, the, the devil advocate position, if you look at the players taken after him, uh, there weren't a ton that that I was too disappointed at, but again, if you look at the the tight end Charlie Kohler that went that went to Baltimore, there's a guy that that I'm going to keep my eye on because that's a guy we could have had that is intriguing. So that's it, it said I judge that way a lot that I don't mind taking the kicker, but I had to look around there and see, and a couple of the players taken around him, I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure that they would have been. Uh, you know, I, I felt a great loss by not taking him, I guess is the best way to express it. Uh, but, yeah, that tight end, I'm going to keep my eye on him so see how he turns out. But Yeah, so we go into round five uh, where we just had single pick in round five, and we actually took Jerome Ford, the running back out of Cincinnati, which uh, many people might not remember. You know, he spent two years with Cincinnati, but he also was a transfer from Alabama where he had spent two years as well. So, um, this is a kid who, dealing with the, the Al- Alabama depth chart, decided to go over to Cincinnati, who we, I think we can all agree is, is an up-and-coming, if not already arrived, program that, that's really starting to do some great things. So he came over to Cincinnati. I think, you know, I, I heard a lot of people concerned about the pick. Like, why are we picking another running back? Because the reality is, I think running backs, with the exception of our offensive line and and some of the great linemen we We're pretty have, well set at running back. I, I think the running back position is really the place where we shine. But, but, where, but where are we weak? Right. And I, and I, but I think then, you know, you got to remember that running backs play special teams too. Exactly. That's where I, that's where I was leading. We're, we're weak on special teams. Yeah. And so I think, yes, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk about, does this mean that we've earned some flexibility with like a cream hunt? Can we afford to potentially package him in some kind of trade to either gain us back some more picks that we that we need for the next draft or or potentially help us later in the year or what are we doing with Dearness Johnson Dearness is a guy who single-handedly won a game for us last year coming off the bench and really helping us out but also too bringing a lot of energy so do we get flexibility there you know and how does that kind of help us move forward is Ford someone who can develop on our practice squad be part of our special teams 
So I'm a little intrigued to see how that all plays out when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think he gives us options, and I think that's what the Browns are looking for because you got some contract situations there with the running backs, right? I think talent-wise, we're set. I think the, the problem being contracts and how do you keep all these good running backs on the team uh, you know, at the end of the season as those things come to, come to a head. And it, so I just think they're, you know, they had a good player they saw here late in the draft. It's a late pick. There's some value there on special teams probably immediately, and he possibly could then be a, a running back that we can have available if we need him if, if the uh, contract situations don't work out. Yeah, and this could be another uh, competition spot. You know, you've got uh, Demetri Felton, who oh, yeah. I think that um, he showed us some flashes, especially catching out of the backfield and a lot of that speed and elusiveness. Yeah. Um, I think when we're talking about the receiving game, we're talking about receivers, uh, you know, what's Felton's future? He may be a little bit more of that receiver role. I know everybody, it's it's really, you know, trendy right now for everybody who's who's going to find the next Debo Samuel. Right. Who's going to find the guy who can run the ball, catch the ball, be on the field all the time. Maybe this gives an opportunity for Felton to do a little bit more of those things and spread his wings. And if nothing else, maybe gives him a little bit of a competition to keep improving into his second year as well. Yeah. And then... Then comes, we start to get into round six, and like everybody else, I think that once we start getting into these these picks here in the sixth round and, and beyond, we're hoping for some quality depth, hoping for some people who can potentially be projects that can that can help us. And, and I think that is where our pick at 202 really, really falls in. I, I think Michael Woods, the second, the receiver out of Oklahoma, I, I don't know that his stat lines uh, out of college really jump off the page to you. I don't know that they make you think this is a guy you got to have, you know, but the reality is that he, you know, he spent three seasons at Arkansas, wasn't really getting kind of the, that type of explosive offense that could really showcase him. So he decided to go to Oklahoma to see what he could do. And I, and I don't know that necessarily set the world on fire, right. but again, we've talked about receiver depth. We've talked about the need for it. I think a lot of us thought the Browns were going to go after receivers even earlier than they did. But here we're taking another receiver off the board, utilizing some of that, getting some of that depth, some hopefully some of that competition, and maybe a project that we can uh, build off of. Yeah, I mean, he, he's another, you know, he's a similar receiver. I can see there's a kind of a trend with what the Browns are looking for. He's a he's a good route runner. He's got good hands, you know, and, you know, he catches the ball. And he doesn't have a lot of speed. So he's, he's definitely a possession rece- receiver. Uh, seems to be, you know, the type of receiver we're, we're looking for. Again, that Jarvis Landry replacement. And, you know, this at this point in the draft, I thought I think it was a good pick. It, he, he's got potential, a little bit rough around the edges. He doesn't have... You said the, um, you know, the stats to kind of to go along with them. So he's unproven. But, hey, uh, again, at this point, those, those are the types of players you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. And, and you know what? That, that brings you around then not that long after. At 223, we pick up Isaiah Thomas, the defensive end from Oklahoma. Now, this was a name that I kept seeing pop up as basically a, a player who maybe – has not displayed quite as much um, quickness uh, and as much finishing as you'd like out of a defensive end. But at the same token, he, he just like when we talked about Alex Wright, we're talking about a guy that has you know NFL-level size, he's got the length, he's got the strength. And you know we don't just need another star defensive end 
on the other side of Miles Garrett. We need some guys to to take some take some snaps, yeah. to rotate in and out there. And I think that, that you know there's a potential here for really building on uh, Isaiah Thomas. I mean, he did pull down over the last two years 14 and a half sacks. So you know, and playing in the SEC, you know, he was. Uh, getting some major play out there. He was playing opposite Benito, which was another guy that yeah. way back in the second round that I was kind of looking at. And so that was another guy that I really thought would be useful. This is the guy on the other side. And he yep. made the best use of his opportunities. So uh, maybe we see somebody who can kind of mix up that, that, bottom, that bottom part of our defensive end group maybe maybe push them a little bit and 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 give us some good rotational support yeah where we got him in the draft i think he i think he was deal i look at the guys that went after him you know like i did with some of the other picks uh, he was definitely the best player to me at that spot uh everybody else i think seemed to agree as well and what's odd for a player that's you know drafted you know over 200 is a lot of folks do feel he can contribute from day one Again, is he going to be the every snap kind of guy? No, but but can he come in on a rotation and help the team? Yeah, and it, you know if he's what we think he is, he can start contributing right away. And I think that's a that's an amazing thing to get a player you know that late in the draft that we truly feel uh, can contribute that quickly. I would love to see it to, just to get some more young uh, and hungry talent. Yeah, I, I mean this is another guy. You know, we we talked about Perry and Winfrey. This is. Perry Winfrey immediately talking about how great it is to pair up with um, Isaiah Thomas again and yeah. bring both their skill sets. These are guys who know a lot about each other, know how to play next to each other. And, you know, that is that's another piece of the puzzle. When you're trying to take some pressure off of Miles, uh, you want these guys. Um, and then we finished out the draft at 246, round seven. That's where we picked up Dawson Deaton the center from Texas Tech, and I really liked this pick. I think that the Browns have shown, uh, especially in the Andrew Berry era, the importance of investing in offensive linemen and in uh, actually developing offensive linemen. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've had the benefit of some great uh, free agent acquisitions on our offensive line um, that, gosh, you know, I, I, like I said, this is another position group that I think is one of our strengths. Yep. But we saw last year what happens when some injuries start to come in to play. And we, we had a lot of our, you know, we, we had to play a rookie at left tackle. And, yep. and he really had to put that time in. And, and sure, I, 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 don't, I think we can all agree he didn't necessarily give us everything we wanted. But he wasn't supposed to either. This right. wasn't that wasn't his year. But he was he got valuable time, and and I think bringing in Dawson Deaton. I mean, um, we've gone ahead. We've let J.C. Treader leave the team, and you know that was a lot of experience right in the middle. Even though uh, J.C. had 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 a little bit of some injury problems hanging with him as well, he still brought a lot to the table. So he did. Um, yes, we've we've addressed that in free agency. Tried to bring in some more depth. But bringing in a, a young young college lineman who yes he played he played center but he also played I believe he played some guard as well so showing us some flexibility 
and and potentially filling out that spot would be great. Hey, and look, he's durable. You know, don't want to don't curse the kid, but I mean, he in college he he led the team in starts. He for an offensive lineman, he's very durable. And I'm of look, I'm of that class that thinks you should take an offensive lineman in every draft. It's just you you need that depth, you need that youth, you need to keep cycling that in and taking them. You know, if you feel like you've got a good offensive line, then you do what we did here. You take one late that you think you contribute as a backup that you you know can eventually grow into a starter, things along those lines. But I think it's a smart move. I, I think they, you know, grabbing an offensive lineman at some point in the draft is a must do. And I was glad to see that we did it. And and I think he's a good pick. Uh, yeah. Particularly at that point in the draft, I think he was again. I think he was probably the best player there uh, at that point. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah, getting getting to that pick and 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 just kind of filling out the draft. So overall, with the draft, I you know what I'm I'm probably with most of the people who graded the draft. I would put us at probably a solid B. I think that while I didn't love some of the moves, I did like the way we used the picks that we got. And and I do think. That, like you said, as we started to get down into those later picks, we definitely were picking for both value and need, and I yeah. and and getting a good intersection of that moving forward. So I really think that uh, we put ourselves in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I agree. I and I I probably give a similar grade. I'd probably be around a B minus for the for the whole draft. But I think a lot of that's just the position we put ourselves in without high draft picks. And, uh, you know, we're taking a kicker in the middle there, I think a couple of the moves that, that just put us there. But but again, I agree. I think I like what we did with the picks we had. I just, you know, I wasn't quite thrilled with trading down and then those type of things, which is kind of why I lowered the grade a little bit. But but the picks that we, we had, who we took, uh, with, with one or two exceptions yet to, to see how they work out, I think we did a pretty good job and I'm, I'm pretty excited about, you know, and I also got to say the more I see the moves happen afterwards, uh, the more confident I am with the draft. The Browns obviously have a plan and they're, they're following that plan. We can see that by the, you know, the players they caught, the, the things they're doing since the draft. So uh, I've got to have some faith in that plan too, because they know a lot more about their plan than I do. Right. I don't know what they're thinking of in the background and didn't during the draft. So, I have a feeling that draft grade might go up over time as I watch more and more moves happen here in the offseason. Yeah. Um, so I think it's time for us to maybe switch a little gear. Sure. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the draft. We had a great time, a great experience, like we said. Um, but I think it's time to talk about, you know, kind of the elephant in the room, which is the Browns reinvention that has really happened leading up to the draft and specifically what's been going on in our quarterback room. Oh, that elephant, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I so I got to be honest. I had plans to start this podcast a little bit earlier this year, and when the initial news of the Deshaun Watson trade came down, I didn't know how I felt about it. I, I got to be honest, I am a, I'm a father of four, and of those four are three beautiful girls. Um, and it, in a very good way, has made me very sensitive to the issues uh, that women face in, in these situations. So um, it is tough. It's a tough pill to swallow what's going on with Deshaun Watson right now. And I wasn't sure, quite frankly, that I wanted to be part of that. Yeah. And so Gary knows I, it, we, I, we had a lot of conversations about this and, and what, whether we were really going to go ahead and do this. And then I, you know what, I got to be honest, I came down, I don't know that I'm significantly more comfortable, but <laughs> what, I, what I am going to say is 
is I become more comfortable with what my role is in this wide world and, and having an opinion about this at all. I, the reality is it's not my job to judge Deshaun Watson. It's not my judge, job to judge these alleged victims either. The reality is that that's going to play out in the court of law. People are going to be punished or not punished. Um, people are going to be vindicated or hurt in the whole process. Um, I'm a fan, and and I'm a fan of the Browns. And yes, I would like, I, I'm hoping over time that I develop a really strong fandom for our new quarterback. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that play out and, and see, see what it is. Now, I'd be the first one to tell you that I agree with everybody who says we need to have a significant improvement at quarterback. I don't think any of us saw what we were expecting to see out of Baker Mayfield. I think everybody has different opinions about what it meant to play through the injury. I know, you know, Gary, I, th- I think you were in the camp of, you know, what what is he doing out there? Why isn't he sitting? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I you know, we, we go into that maybe a different podcast or whatever, but I, I think that was – Look, I like our coaches, and I think, but I think they need to grow just like the rest of the team. And I think they made a mistake. I, they should have sat him down. It should not have been his choice to play at that point in time. Obviously, he was not equipped to be playing with those injuries. And yeah, I felt strongly he should not, shouldn't have been playing for most of the season last year because of the injuries. Period. Right, and and I I've always been on the position of you know you want your quarterback to be we, we want our quarterbacks to be alpha dogs right we we want Definitely. them to power through some of this stuff so I don't know that you can reasonably expect that Baker Mayfield would have said hey it's my contract year hey we are trying to make a push for the playoffs hey I'm the I'm the lead of this show. I need to be out there. I don't think it's it's very reasonable to expect that he would have volunteered to bench himself. But I no. agree with you. I agree with you. I think I think what we really should be talking about when it comes to the Baker Mayfield saga is how how we learned that uh, that Stefanski really is what or was a second year coach. Yeah, that that became very evident. And look. I'm, I'm, you know, as you'll find out as we talk more, as we talk more about him, I'm not a huge Baker fan, but I, but I would say I would have been extremely disappointed in him if he said, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm hurt and I want to sit down. I give him a lot of kudos and a lot of credit for saying I want to play. And I, I put that fully on the coach. The coach should have been the one that said, you know, I appreciate your, your desire to play and the competitiveness you're showing, but you're too hurt. We need to go with somebody else and let you heal. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, and, and you know what? I am a big fan of what Baker brought to the team. You know, there is no denying this is a guy who dealt with the worst of the worst when he first joined the team and not, and then yep. basically brought us to the most success that we've had in decades. Um, and so, you know, I do think it, it stinks, but it is the business of the NFL. And we can't argue if we're going to just talk about straight talent. You know, you, you make a move for a top five talent at quarterback in the NFL. Yes, there are a lot of questions. You know, what, what's, you know we've, got, we've got the obvious questions about the off-field issues, but also on-field. This is a guy who sat out for a full year. And when he was playing, put up great numbers. 
on on a very bad team, but didn't necessarily elevate the level of that team. No, definitely not. And that's so he's got a lot to prove on the field for yeah. sure. Uh, his you know his record wasn't wasn't that great either. I mean, it while he was impressive stat wise and things along those, it didn't equate necessarily in wins and losses. And that's that's where it counts, right? Right. And I and you know when. I, I am also a big believer that wins and losses is a horrible quarterback stat, but it's the reality of the game, right? You know, a quarterback is always going to be judged on the overall success of the team, even though there are so many other things that come into that. And sure. so, so yeah, I think, I, I think that's part of what we're going to see. And, you know, we had beyond even just Deshaun Watson, we had a full quarterback <laughs> overhaul yeah. in the quarterback room. Um, I think, I think we all, could probably agree that it was time to let Case Keenum go. I think, as we saw in yeah, that season, if you weren't going to play him, you need to let him go. Right. I mean, we were paying we were paying him. What was it? Six million dollars a year to sit on our bench. I think. Yeah. And when it came push push came to shove, and you're in that situation where you really should be able to trust that guy, we didn't. Um, and so that's got to say something about the coaches. Got to say something about the philosophy or what we wanted out of it so i i think i think we all knew you know yeah. when it came down to the cap and and everything else that case keenum's days in cleveland were done yeah i don't i don't think anybody was surprised that his time here was over in fact i'd like to meet anybody that was yeah, right, <laughs> right. Uh, and then we brought in jacoby Brissett, who is actually a guy that great that i like i like quite quite a bit you know, this is a guy I, that I don't know that I think has ever really gotten a full chance to shine. I think I think that he spent some time in Indianapolis. He spent some time with Miami. You know, he's bopped around the league a little bit, but he's always kind of been uh, replaced by the next guy a little bit. Right. And I and this is a big guy, a really really big guy. Now he's going to bring you some similar. And I, I will stress similar <laughs> skill sets to Deshaun Watson, but but I think the, cha- the he's not going to be as electric. He's not going to the arm's not the same and the speed's not the same. But the ability to actually look at the field, potentially run with the ball, do some different things, and be be a solid contributor, I think is there. Well, what what he does is he's similar enough that he's going to allow you to kind of run the same offense, so that if you you're going from Deshaun Watson to him that it's not a complete you know change in play calling. Yes, you're going to call some things differently obviously, but but it it's not going from a pocket passer to a mobile passer or things along those lines. So I like the fact that like, like you I think he's he's underrated. I think he he needs you know, I think he's got a little more potential than people give him credit for. Uh, you know, I don't think he's he's our starter, but I do think he's a great backup, and it was a smart move to bring him in. And I think the fact that he is similar in style to Deshaun Watson is going to be beneficial because he's probably going to play at some point. And to be able to take that same offense and kind of plug him in, I, I think that's important for the team growth. Yeah, and and all all word on the street is the, you know the addition of Josh Dobbs as well, just hanging in our quarterback room, you know, the the reviews out of Pittsburgh for these years that he's been with them is that here's a brilliant guy who really understands football and is invaluable at cutting down film, helping with the scout team. So I don't know, does Dobbs push uh, Brissett a little bit? I guess we'll see. Hopefully. But, but I do think that with all this different 
chaos, for lack of a better term, that we're we're dealing with at the at the top of the food chain. You know, we got a couple good guys who I think can really help us um, in a pinch and help us get through. Um, I think I think probably in a future podcast we'll maybe spend a little bit more time about what what is the deal with Baker and how how's the team going to finalize this stuff. I just I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching through training camp and everything is just how how is Stefanski going to adjust the playbook, adjust his play calling to a quarterback and a quarterback room that has some very different skill sets mm-hmm. than what he had in Baker. And, you know, if we believe that we needed to move on from Baker and we did the right thing, well, then we need to capitalize on it. And we need to be, we need to be showing from a coaching perspective that we know how to utilize these tools. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think the, you know, the Baker thing will, will get resolved. I don't think anybody, uh, I think everybody's been proven wrong every time to this point when they thought something was going to happen with them and it, and it hasn't yet. Uh, I think the, the, the one thing that we know is the Browns have patience right now. They're not in a rush to do anything with Baker Mayfield. They're going to take their time, see if we can get, get a trade for them. You know, when that patience wears out, I'm not sure, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the current money is on the sometime in, in training camp, you know, they can wait and see if any other quarterback has get hurt in, uh, in training camp and then maybe try and make a deal then. But, you know, if that doesn't happen, do they hold on to them longer? I'm not sure. I agree. I think, I think there's a lot still to be done for that. Well, you know, I, I think we're starting to come up against it here in our first podcast. I think we've covered a lot of ground today. We have. You know, I want to thank Gary for joining us. We're going to hear from Gary again throughout the season. You're going to come join us again. Did you have fun? Oh, yeah. Bad ball. This is great. Well, yeah. Mostly you just came for the bourbon, didn't you? Uh, It's exactly all I came for, sure. Right. So so we are going to enjoy our bourbon for the rest of the evening. But, you know, coming up here in our next episode, we're going to dive in a little bit into the rest of what might be the free agency needs that are going on with, with the Browns how that fits into the overall draft and how everything laid out there. And also, too, some of the other depth that we might be looking at. Are we going to go after a veteran wide receiver? Are we going to find some more people in the defensive line? And then in our next episode, um, we'll dive a little bit into the schedule and and some of the different matchups that are happening. Like we talked about, the AFC is just the, like I said, the arms race in the AFC is just crazy. And I think, you know, it, it boils down to that there are not easy schedules in the AFC. So um, talk a little bit about the different matchups that are happening with the Browns. And we're going to continue to just kind of take this where we're going. We're hoping to spend some time at training camp this year, get a chance to go out, possibly uh, talk to some more people. We might have some unique guests come through on on the podcast. And then also to just really get ramped up for the season. I, I, you know, I, I think I speak for Gary and and, and the rest of my buddies out there, I, even even with all the different talking points that are happening, we just want football. Let's get going. <laughs> Let's play some games yeah. um, and, and really have a good time. So for Gary, uh, this is Mark, Judy. I want to thank you for joining us in our premiere of the Cardiology Podcast. I promise we'll get better. I hope we'll get better. But if you can, I hope you will take the time to join us. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and also available on Amazon. So feel free to check us out. You can also check out the website at www.cardiologycle, C-L-E, 
cardiologyrx.com. And it's cardiology with a K. If you didn't already catch that, it is cardiology with a K. And you can find us on all those searches. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all Twitter. I'm on all these different places. I don't know that I'm qualified for all those different social accounts, but, but I definitely have them. So feel free to reach out to us. We hope you'll join us in the future. And until then, let's go Browns. Go Browns.